0: We are so glad that you've tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Matthew Brown, the college and young adult pastor here at Rolling Hills. We're in our series, Everyday Armor, and today we'll be focusing on several pieces of the armor of God and on why each part is integral in fighting our spiritual battles. Now. Here's Pastor Jason. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you guys for
1: sliding into church this morning. We really appreciate it. I'm grateful that all of you made it here safely. And I'm excited about what God's gonna do today. I think that God has a really specific word for us today. And I, and I think it's um, it's it's very fitting that we are talking about a topic today that the enemy, we have a real enemy out there in the world. And of course, we're talking about a topic today that the enemy doesn't want us to talk about. Something that he would rather us kind of stay put on and stay in the sidelines on. And so I'm I'm extremely grateful for not only you hearing this in person, but for the people that are worshiping with us online and that will hear this message or a podcast in the days and weeks ahead because I believe that God has something really specific for us. And I don't think it's by accident that any of you are here. I don't know if you've noticed this in life, but sometimes I've found in life that it's better to be what I call blissfully uninformed or blissfully ignorant, do you ever have those moments of life when you're like, you know what, it's just better to be in the blissfully ignorant category instead of knowing all of the details in terms of what's actually going on? You might be familiar with this quote. It dates back to 1742, and it was penned by the poet Thomas Gray. And this is what Thomas Gray said, and I quote, where ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. And now again, this is 279 years old, and what he is saying is that sometimes it's okay to just be in the dark. It's okay to not have all the answers, and when that is appropriate, then it's actually folly. It's really unwise to try to seek to be wise in that moment. It's okay just to stay in a blissful state of existence, and I would tend to agree with him in some arenas of life, and I'm sure that you would as well. Let me give you a couple of examples. A couple of times when it's okay to just be blissfully uninformed or blissfully ignorant, if you will. Has this ever happened to you? Well, you're headed on the interstate. You're going northbound on I-65, and you're going full speed limit. Some of you a good 15 to 20 miles over the speed limit, but no- nothing is encumbering you on the interstate. And then you realize the southbound, tra- the southbound lanes of traffic, though, have encountered some construction. There was a construction project, and the traffic is backed up for Quite, a, you know, quite an amount of distance. And then you get past the traffic that's all backed up, and don't you guys think about the cars that are coming that don't quite yet know about the impediment that's ahead of them? And don't you kind of just want to like wave at them or something but you can't you can't figure that you do you put a sign out of the car you see these two ladies in a convertible they're just headed to the beach and they're just ready to have the time of their life and you're thinking to yourself it's best that you stay blissfully uninformed because it's getting ready to get real real for you here in just a moment or how about this one you're sitting down with a couple that is soon to be married And they've got a month before their wedding day. And they are just so googly eyes to one another. And they are in love. And you ask them, are you excited about your wedding? And they say, oh, yes, we're so excited. Because, I mean, we are literally like on the same page about everything. And we are never going to have any conflicts like other couples do. And you just nod your head. And you just say, bless your heart. You know, absolutely. We'll be praying for you guys as as you prepare for your marriage. And you're just thinking to yourself, Just stay in that blissful state of existence that you're never going to have any relational problems. Or how about this? You sign up to coach your kid's baseball team, and the first day of practice, everybody loves the coach. Because you think to yourself, everybody leaving the field says, thank you for coaching, Mr. Danny. Thank you for coaching, Mr. Jamie. We are just so excited for you coaching our kids. And then game two happens, and you didn't give little Jimmy as much playing time as his mom and dad thought he should have because he's destined for the majors, and they can tell it at age six. And you didn't give him as much playing time, and so all of a sudden, the newness has worn off and you're like, oh, I was really blissfully uninformed about this whole coaching gig. I stood in the way between what these parents thought was best for their kids and now they have a vendetta out against me. I can keep going. Ladies, maybe you've ever gone to a salon and you have a professional that gets your hair looking really sharp and they tell you, you too can make it look like this at home. And you just have that blissful moment of, yeah, I think I can make my hair look like this at home. And you've not been successful in making it look like the professional was able to do the work. How about parenting? Who amongst you before you had kids didn't sit in a restaurant and say, my kids will never act like that in public? Can you believe these parents let their kids act like that in public? Can you believe that these? when my kids, when I have kids, they are going to all be so well-behaved, they're going to sit so quietly at restaurants, and again, you just shake your head, and you're like, get involved with this parenting thing, and then come back and tell me a little bit later. So sometimes it's okay. Those are all moments when it's okay just to be blissfully uninformed because eventually the other shoe is going to fall and you're going to realize, no, this is a little bit more challenging than I thought. However, there is an area of our life, there is an area of our life, and it's what we're going to talk about this morning, that I implore you, don't be blissfully ignorant about what we're going to talk about today. This is something that it is not in your best interest to be blissfully uninformed when it comes to the matter of The topic at hand today, that there is a spiritual battle and that there is a real enemy out there and an enemy who wants to wreak havoc on your life, an enemy who wants to destroy you, and according to Scripture, an enemy who is always on the prowl to try to make your life miserable and to point you to the things of this world opposed to the things of God. But God gives us some clear instructions, and God says, I have given you the battle I have given you the things to protect you and prevent those things from happening in your life, the strength to stand in the face of adversity. And so I'm grateful that you're here. And I'm going to ask us to kind of turn our sights to this passage of Scripture in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, God gives us what he calls the armor of God. And we've called this series Everyday Armor, the everyday armor that we take up in order to stand strong in the face of the challenges and in the face of the enemy. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. You're also going to see these words up here on the screen. Some of them are printed there for you in your worship guide, but I want you to listen to what Paul says, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Peace. Now, if you were not able to be here with us last week or you weren't able to hop online and watch last week's message, please go back and watch that because Pastor Jeff, Jeff Simmons, our lead pastor, founding pastor of Rolling Hills, set the stage for us amazingly last week at uh, this entire series where he shared with our campuses that when you become a follower of Christ, there's several things that you get. And one of those things that you get that we celebrate is forgiveness of sins. It's the power of the gospel. We talk about the gospel every week. We're going to continue talking about the gospel every week because it's what is the power. The power in our life comes from the gospel. Not only do you get a forgiveness of sins, but you have the Holy Spirit now with you as a guide and as a comforter. You have an eternal security set in heaven. So it's not only fulfillment here in this life, but you know that in the afterlife, after I leave this, earth that I will have an eternity spent with heaven. All of those things are great. We celebrate all of those. When you make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, you receive all of those things. But as Pastor Jeff reminded us last week, when you make a profession of faith in Christ as well, you also receive a target on your back from the enemy. Satan, he wants to destroy you because he's not liking that decision that you made. But God has said, we don't fight this battle alone. I have given you an armor that you are to take up to stand against what he says are the schemes of the evil one. Have you ever had anybody scheming against you? I hope not. But if you've ever felt like somebody is scheming against you, they have you set in their sights and they're trying to make your life miserable and they're trying to kind of navigate everything so that you will be destroyed. I hope that's never happened to you from a human perspective But this is what the enemy does. He schemes against you and all of these tactics and all of these ploys. But yet, Paul says, we take up this armor of God and it helps us to remain strong. But before we start unpacking all those armor pieces, I want to look at a couple things here. Look at verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, you see this here in your notes, if you want to fill in some of the blanks on these notes, the everyday armor of God equips you to stand strong when, not if, the schemes of the enemy come your way. Some of you, this is the reason you're here today. This was the message that God needed you to hear. The everyday armor of God equips you to stand strong when, not if, the schemes of the enemy come your way. I'm amazed at how easy it is for me to think Maybe someday the enemy will attack my life. Maybe someday that's going to come. We kind of operate under this premise of if that were to happen or, you know what, if you live a way that I don't live, then the enemy's probably, probably the enemy's never going to bother me because I'm not like you. Whereas the scripture reminds us in verse 13 that we put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if the day of evil comes. The enemy is working right now. Did you guys know that? The enemy is working literally right now in our midst all the time in your life right now to destroy you, and some of us are going to be ready for that, and some of us are not going to be ready for that. But how do we ensure that we're more prepared for that battle? We take up these armor pieces that Paul mentions. And this promise that we have a real enemy who's out to destroy us hopefully lights a fire under our lives and say, it says, you know what, I want to be best prepared for that. I would venture to say that most of you at your house have locks on your doors, and most of you probably locked the door when you left the house this morning. Or some of you have even further enhanced security. You have security systems, and maybe you activated that security alarm when you left. You're going out of town. You probably locked the doors. Why do you do all of that? You take all of those measures because you are trying to prevent somebody from getting in your home that you don't want in your home. You have keys to that house, and you have given a key to everybody that you're okay with putting the key in and coming inside. If I'm supposed to have the activation deactivation code for your security system, then I will know that so that it does not go off when I walk into your house. Why do you take all of those measures? You take all of those preventative measures to keep the people out that you don't want in. But in all actuality, think about it for a second. Are there a lot of known threats out against your home right now? Think about it if I were to call the Nolensville Police Department or if I were to call the FBI or if I were to call the CIA and I were to give them your address and I were to say talk to me about what's happening out there talk to me what's happening out there in the intelligence community what chatter are you hearing about her home in Bent Creek are you hearing that are you hearing that the world's most heinous criminals and terrorists have this home in Bent Creek on their radar is that what you're hearing the chances of them saying yes are probably slim to none. They're going to say, no, we have heard no chatter about that home in Bent Creek. But I still lock the door every time that I leave the house. Why? I'm taking measures against an enemy that exists. Even though there may not be no known threat of that enemy, I'm taking preventative measures. Whereas Paul is saying there is a real enemy, and how often do I go into life completely unprepared for it? When he is saying 100% of the time, you can take it to the bank that this enemy is real, and you've got to take up these measures to prevent yourself from being attacked by that enemy. Now, the Bible doesn't tell you that you have to defeat the enemy. Why? Because Jesus has already defeated the enemy. You just have to stand firm in the face of the battle. One of my favorite Bible stories, I love battle Bible stories. Our kids love battle Bible stories. Maybe it's one of your favorites as well. Don't you love the story of David and Goliath? It's this amazing story. Why? Because you've got this little guy named David and you've got this big, bad giant named Goliath. Even in secular society, I hear it all the time. People who have zero kind of background in church or zero connection to a church or interest in a church, they'll say things like, oh, that's a David and Goliath story. Because it symbolizes the little guy who defeats the big guy. And we love this story, and sometimes we read this story and we think, you know what this is really about? This is about me. I'm the little guy, and I'm trying to face the giant in my life. And if I have enough slings and stones, then I can defeat the giant in my life. And there's not anything inaccurate about that story. It's a normal takeaway point that you should receive from the story. However, the story's a little bit richer than just little guy beating big bad giant. Because I look at the story and I tend to think, I must be like David in the story. But when in reality, all of Scripture is trying to show us, all of Scripture is teaching us our need for a Savior, and that there is a real enemy, and that it's only the Savior who defeats the enemy. And so I'm really not David in the story as much as Jesus is David in the story. And Goliath isn't so much my fear and anxiety as much as it is sin that seeks to destroy us Who expected David to beat Goliath? No one. Who expected a baby born in a cradle to ultimately defeat sin? No one. And so this is a beautiful story that's so much richer than just face your fears, conquer your fears. It's a story of the Savior defeating the enemy. And we can draw strength as a result of that. So when Jesus conquered death, what did he do? He defeated the enemy, but Satan is still working. He is defeated, but he's still working. And friends, I want to encourage you in this and maybe convict you if so be it. Sin is dangerous. It is very dangerous. And some of us dabble with sin far too loosely and far too easily. It's the most dangerous thing in our society right now, because it can wreak havoc in our life. And if we have unrepentant sin, or if we've never made that profession of faith in Jesus Christ, then it's sin that separates us from God. So seeing that Jesus has done all of this work, it would stand to reason that the armor of God should teach us something about Jesus. And it certainly does, that Jesus would be central to this armor, and he is. You see this here in your notes, but each piece of this armor, it represents a way that the gospel can take root and be applied in our life. Each piece of this armor represents a way that the gospel can take root and be applied in your life. Go back to Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, what is Paul praying here? He is saying that I want you to understand just how high and how wide and how long and how wide and how deep is the love of God. And when you understand just how loving God is, when you understand just how much God has done for you, that's what allows you to be rooted. And when your life is rooted, what happens when the attacks of the enemy come? You might sway a little bit, but you don't fall down. You are planted firmly in the things of God. I can stand strong in the face of the schemes of the devil. So what are these particular pieces of armor? We're going to look at three of those over the next few minutes. The first of which he says is the belt of truth. Look at verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now we hear the word belt and we automatically go to, you know, a, a belt that you wear to hold your pants up. And a decorative belt that you wear to, you know, to add some kind of element to your outfit. But the reality is that this belt of truth is so much more than just a belt as we know it. Because this belt of truth would have, in essence, covered the entire midsection of a soldier. It's the belt that the weapons would have been attached to. So your offensive weapons would have been here deeply rooted on this belt. But what does he say about the belt? He said that it's not just a belt for costume's sake but it's a belt of truth and that I am to put truth around my life that I am to secure the truth of God around my life and this certainly needs to be said today but you see it here on your notes that any truth apart from Jesus is not actually truth any truth apart from Jesus is not actually truth look at John 14:6 Jesus says I am the way I am the truth and I am the life no one comes to the father except through me. Isn't this an awesome passage of Scripture? What does Jesus refer to himself as? He says, I am the truth. It's not just a characteristic that's used to describe an element of Jesus, but he is saying, I am, in essence, the truth. I am the way, and I am the life. So what is the enemy? The enemy is not truth. (laughs) If Jesus is truth, then the enemy is not truth. Everything about the enemy is truth false everything that the enemy tells you everything that the world tells you is rooted in falsehood it's not rooted in truth and you may recall this but ever since the enemy has come onto kind of the scene in the bible ever since we've had this recorded moment of time with adam and eve and god's first creation the enemy comes onto the scene very very quickly and he tries to separate the people God's people from God's plan, and I want you to look at what the enemy does. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 4. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die you will certainly not die, the servant said to the woman. So the serpent comes onto the scene and what is his main MO with Eve? Deception. Deception. He says, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from that fruit? And she says, yeah, he did. And he said, if we eat it, we will die. And the serpent said, oh no, you won't die. Eat the fruit. You won't die. If you keep reading on in Genesis chapter 3, he says not only will you not die, but you'll become alive. You'll come into your own. You'll understand good and evil knowledge. You'll be like God in understanding all of that. And Eve was deceived. Adam was deceived. So from the onset, the enemy has been false. And his main kind of operating system, so to speak, is falsehood. So to understand truth... I've got to go to the source of truth. And that source of truth is Christ and Christ alone. One of my favorite party games is Two Truths and a Lie. Have you guys ever played this game? Two Truths and a Lie. It's like my favorite game. In fact, maybe we should just pass a microphone around and play it on here to learn, learn a little bit about each other this morning. But if you don't know the game, what you do is you write down on a piece of paper two things that are true about yourself and one thing that is false about yourself, and everybody tries to guess which of those are true and which of those are false. So I thought we'd play it this morning. I'm going to tell you two truths about myself and one lie about myself and see if you can discern the truth. First of which, I was raised on a farm. That's number one. Second of all, avocados are my favorite food. That's number two. And number three, I love to read. That's number three. So I was raised on a farm. Avocados are my favorite food, and I love to read. Anybody think it's number one? Was I raised on a farm? Mm, that is true. I was raised on a farm. Anybody think it's I love to read? Oh, I do love to read. Does anybody think it's avocados are my favorite food? That is the lie. Keep avocados far, far away from me, Okay. Far, far away. And every time I tell people that I hate avocados, this is what they always say. You don't like guacamole? No, I hate guacamole. And they always say, I'm like, I hate guacamole because its main ingredient is avocado. And they're like, always, 100% of the time, oh, it's just because you've not had good guacamole. No, I'm aware, my beautiful wife and I went to some restaurant that it costs like $18 to get table side guacamole because she loves it. And I thought, yeah, $18, it's still bad. You know, it's not, it's just not good. It's just not a food that I want. So as I know, I know that a bag of avocados is going to show up at my doorstep in the next week or so. Um, And we will put them to good use, just not me. But how would you know that truth? You would know that that was a lie if you have ever been with me to a Mexican restaurant. And you will realize, yeah, this guy's got an aversion to guacamole. He doesn't want that. You've got to go to the source. And when you spend some time with the source, you begin to realize where the truth lies. Some of us don't spend near enough time with the source, and so therefore we think all of the things of the enemy are actually true. Have you noticed that it's so common this day and age to hear people put the word my in front of truth. I hear it all the time. People will say, my truth. And I want it in a really nice, loving way, because I love people. I kind of want to sit down with them with coffee and just say, okay, let's talk about my truth. Because if you're going to put a word in front of truth, it really needs to be the. (laughs) Because there is the truth. There's really not my truth when it comes to the things of God and the teachings of God. It's dangerous, I don't have to tell you this as well but we kind of live in a society where truth is kind of up for grabs and it's just kind of like you know i can believe a little bit of this and i can believe a little bit of that but through the word of god and through the teachings of jesus christ we understand what is really true and if we've allowed all of the other quote unquote truths to have so much real estate in our minds and in our hearts and in our actions and in our attitudes then there's likely going to be some cracks in the armor. And that's why Jesus is reminding us to have a belt of truth, what is true. Secondly, he says a breastplate of righteousness to have a breastplate of righteousness. And that breastplate is obviously a shield. You've seen it before in a suit of armor. It's the shield that covers all of your internal organs. It protects your heart. It protects your lungs. It protects all of the things that make you tick, that keep you alive. And what is he saying? He's saying all of that has to be covered with righteousness. And what is righteousness? That's just a fancy way of saying the right things of God. It's the right things of God that everything in my life would be covered with the right things of God. So it begs us to ask a question, and you see that question here on on the notes. Is every area of your life covered with godly thoughts and attitudes and actions? Is every area of your life covered with godly thoughts, attitudes, and actions? Do my heart's responses look more like Jesus or more like the world? When I get pressed a little bit, does God's word and does God's plan for others and God's love come out Or do my actions reflect more arrogance or hatred? See, use this as a gauge. Because this is one of the best gauges in your life to see, are there cracks in my armor? In fact, here's your homework assignment. You're probably going to be stuck at home for the next week. Here's your homework assignment. Say, are there some cracks in my armor? And one of the ways that I'll know if there's cracks in my armor is when I get pressed, does Jesus come out or does something else come out? Because it's that righteousness. I know that none of you guys ever have moments where you're in disagreement with other people. But perchance, let's say you are. And you have a conflict with someone else. What comes out of your heart and your actions and your attitudes? Is it the things of Jesus? Is it those righteous things of God? Or is it the arrogance, the hatred, the condescension, the I'm better than you? Or the, if you don't see this exactly like I do, then you must be wrong? Whatever comes out tends to be a pretty clear indicator of what's in. Maybe you've noticed this like I have, but there are so few things we can control in life. And this last year has taught us that probably more than any year of my life. But what do we control? We 100% control how we respond to everything, that's in your control. How you think about something, how your heart responds to it, how your actions respond to it, that is in your control. What's going to happen in your life? Who knows? Good luck. How many challenges are you going to face? How many adversities are you going to go through? Probably several in the next couple hours. But how you respond to them is a pretty clear indicator of, am I suited up with the everyday armor, or are there some cracks that I need to attend to in that armor? And then lastly, he says, our feet are to be fitted with the gospel. Our feet fitted with the gospel. I love this one so much because this is kind of the underdog piece of armor. <laughs> this is the piece of armor when you guys are thinking about all the armor of God. You're thinking shield. You're thinking sword. You're thinking helmet. You're not thinking sandals. It sounds like the least offensive when, you know, oh, here comes the guy ready for battle. He's wearing flip-flops. You know, he's, he's wearing shoes. Of course he's wearing shoes. Hopefully he would be wearing shoes. But The feet fitted with the gospel is so much more than just shoes. It does mean that I have to stand strong on the gospel, that my feet have to firmly be planted on the gospel. But what is the gospel? The gospel is something we share. The gospel is the good news that we share with other people. So for my feet to be fitted with the gospel, it means that my feet have to actively be going and sharing with others that my feet have to actively be engaged in mission, that my feet have to actively be engaged in building relationships with other people. And you see this here in your notes, but a lack of actively being involved in God's mission makes you more susceptible to the schemes of the enemy. A lack of actively being involved in God's mission makes you more susceptible to the schemes of the enemy. This is why my grandmother used to never let me sit around. And have idle hands. Did anybody ever have a grandmother that would say idle hands are the devil's workshop? This is what my grandmother used to tell me. My great-grandmother used to tell me that. And I thought, that is like the most old school. I can't believe you would say that to a child. But I realized there's some truth to what she was saying. She was saying, when you don't do anything, when you just kind of sit passively, when you just kind of watch the world go by, you're making yourself more susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. So be actively involved. Otherwise, we get a target. In fact, we're kind of like a sitting duck with a target on our life when we say, you know what, everything's about me all the time, opposed to saying, no, I want my life to be about other people. I would say it's one of the biggest challenges facing the church right now. It's one of the biggest challenges facing us because we've been in a season of life and we've been in a season of ministry uh, not necessarily a season of ministry but a season of life season of family routine so to speak where it has been so incredibly easy to make everything about you it's always been a thing but it's to some degree probably been accentuated in some of our lives it's one of the easiest things for us to lose sight of it's one of the easiest things for us to kind of go when you start looking through your life of all the things that I can maybe do without? Sometimes one of the first things that we kind of rip off and throw away is mission and being actively engaged in the things of God. And I believe God's trying to get our attention to say, you know what? The world looks different. You know what? Church looks different. You know what? Ministry looks different. You know what? Your routines look different. So be it. Are things different? Sure. Does that mean because something is different that I get to sit on the sidelines and do nothing? Absolutely not. It means I have to be actively involved and there's some cracks that are starting to appear in some of the pieces of armor because the armor's just been sitting still way too long. And God is saying, no, I want you to actively be involved, actively be pursuing your mission, your vision, your core, the things that are so crucial to you. I'm reminded of this all the time, that every organization, every place of business, every family, every church, every school has recalibrated in ways that they never thought they would have to recalibrate over the last year, almost now year of life. And there's some amazing things that have happened in the midst of that, but the recalibration isn't fun for most of us. We don't enjoy that. But have you noticed that, a lot of organizations, they're still fulfilling the mission. They've just figured out a different way to deliver the product. They figured out a different way to do it. I love the Girl Scouts. We have a new Girl Scout in our home, seven year old Evie June. I love the Girl Scouts. I love their cookies. Do you know what the Girl Scouts have figured out this year? How to still sell cookies. I love the Cub Scouts. You know what the Cub Scouts have figured out this year? How to still very frequently collect food for the Nolensville Food Pantry, very consistently keeping those things important. I love baseball. I love basketball. In the past year, my kids have still played both of those things. And then you look at your life, or I look at my life, and I, I realize the message that's the most important, though, has sometimes been the first one that I've kind of stripped away and thrown to the side because of the challenge or because of the difficulties or because of whatever it might be. See, what the enemy wants to do in your life is the enemy wants to frustrate you so much to say, hey, all the channels of the way that you used to be involved in other people's lives, all those channels have changed, so therefore it must not be important. You just keep you at the center. Just because the channels have changed, doesn't mean that the mission has changed. And it's likely that you know someone, or maybe that you are the one, that your life is more susceptible right now to the schemes of the enemy because there's been a lack of actively being involved in the mission. What the enemy wants you to do is just to sit. But what happens to armor when it sits? It rusts. It corrodes. And it eventually falls apart. This is what the enemy doesn't want you to pray. And so as a result of that, we're going to pray it here in just a moment. What the enemy doesn't want you to pray is a prayer like this. God, show me the ways to serve other people in the midst of the world that I live in right now. Show me how to be on mission for you. So just because the enemy doesn't want us to pray it is the reason we should pray it more. Just because the enemy doesn't want us to live that way is the reason that we should live it more. And I want to close today by reading the scripture, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's don't grow weary, friends, in doing good, because if we don't grow weary in doing good, what Scripture reminds us is that at the proper time, we will reap a harvest, that we will see the harvest come in our life, both personally and in the lives of other people. We're in a spiritual battle. It's not a battle of flesh and blood. It's a battle against the spiritual forces of evil, but we don't fight alone. And most importantly, remember that this is not something to be uninformed about. This is not something to say, "Mm, you know what, I'm just going to kind of be blissfully ignorant about that. No, it's too important. It's too crucial because we'll never be able to stand strong if we don't take up these pieces of armor. So will you join me today in suiting up for that armor and asking God to give us the ability to stand strong for him today, to stand firm on him, to take up that shield, to take up that belt, to put on that breastplate of righteousness, to put our feet squarely on the gospel, ready to actively be involved in other people. And when we do that, we remain strong. We remain strong in him. So let's be strong together. Lord, thank you for this day. I'm thankful for this opportunity to be together in your presence. I'm thankful for who you are. God, you are so good to us. We love you. And we do pray this morning a bold prayer. We pray that in the midst of a difficult season, in the midst of a difficult um, moment, perhaps difficult uh, family dynamics, difficult working environments, all of the things that, um, that we may find ourselves in right now, God, help us to not be men and women who just sit idly by, but rather to be men and women who have a faith that's activated for you. So help us, God, to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Help us to put shoes on our feet that stand on the message of the gospel and help us to put on that belt of truth and to realize that that truth is from you and you alone. And I pray, God, that strength would come in our lives today. We're so grateful that you love us. We're so grateful that you have met us here. And we pray that as we go out of these doors here in just a few moments, that we would have opportunities today to share this hope with those that we come in contact with. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all of these things.
0: Amen and amen. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you enjoy listening to our Rolling Hills podcast, please rate or review us on your favorite listening service. To learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram, and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We are thankful for you.